Welcome to Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we are chatting with Kenneth Ohm, the owner of Previously Pluto. The goal of his company is to make niche but interesting games, and his first title, The Big Shuffle, a film noir card game, is currently on Kickstarter. Kenneth, welcome to The Binge. How are you today? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Just getting ready for the holidays. <laughs> I think we all are. It, uh, it's been a crazy uh, couple of weeks. I know uh, for our listeners, they may have noticed that we haven't had, uh, for the past two weeks, two episodes a week. In fact, we actually had one week we fully took off just because a number of campaigns winds down as we get near the end of the year. Um, but you've been very, very gracious to give us your time. Uh, I'm a big film buff. I love film. So as soon as I saw this campaign, I'm like, I got to get this guy on this podcast. This looks crazy cool. So thank you so much for your time. I do appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. And again, I'm also a lover of film and a lot of people on the team love film too. So, Oh, I yeah. think you could probably tell when you see a game like this. So now, like when I was reading your bio and you sent that over to me and uh, anybody that, um, you know, wants to check that out, they're going to see that in the show notes, but in there it has a year, like an artist and a designer and a, you know, a developer and, you know, into like actual filmography and things like that kind of what's your background like i know it's not board games your background is all this other stuff can you tell me a little bit about that well yeah so i've got a master's in digital digital media and it's very broad field and i kind of switched my focus like six times over my career i went from film and video to vfx to animation to game development to web development to vr development and so i've pretty much have run the gamut i can pretty much do everything but two things i can't do crafts and i can't make music but i can do everything else so now in what facets are you doing these so you have the skills um mm -hmm. how have you employed these skills up until this point have you worked on some projects or what have you done uh in terms of like my accolades that are very interesting yeah. uh i created the world's first brain computer interface spectroscopy game ever what <laughs> so a brain computer uh, interface is uh, it's a type of brain reading device you ever see those people with those like uh like gel caps on their heads with wires coming out yeah. that's called electroencephalography or egg and that uses like electrical pulses to kind of sense what activity is going on in different parts of the person's brain i use something called a uh, spectroscopy based fnir device and what it does is instead of electricity like pulses it just checks it puts like a thing on your front of your head and shoots light into your frontal lobe it's not dangerous by the way it's an invasive but when you think you have different levels of oxygenated hemoglobin that it, like that goes to different areas of your frontal lobe and the light is either bounced or absorbed or refracted and then it gives a level back to the machine and then we can create you know um things that we can translate to the computer like up down left right and click right that's so, crazy so that's one of my accolades. And I not only created the first single-player one, I created this, a multiplayer game too, where you, you use your concentration against someone else. How yep. fast is it? Like, so if it's not taking electrical impulses, which are instantaneous, but it is taking like uh, the hemoglobin and it's, and it's detecting change in color, is it as quick or how reactive is that? 
it is not quick. It actually takes a lot of training to actually be able to use the device, maybe at least like a couple of weeks, because mm. anything can spark it. Like you thinking about ice cream can suddenly increase your concentration. So it's kind of like a phantom limb kind of thing. It's like creating like a new limb for yourself. Mm. Uh, and it's used a lot for, uh, the reason why I created that game too, is to kind of merge psychological protocols with game flow mechanics and trying to give like more realistic data to users in these like Psych, psych studies and stuff like that. So yeah, and I create a whole platform for that. You would think something like that would work well with like even like wheelchairs, right? So people who are yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent immobile, they're trained, so they've got the time to train. But once they train, mm -hmm. they could literally uh, train themselves to drive, basically with thought, I guess, eh? Yeah. So you have um, uh, BCI devices, but you also have uh, eye tracking uh, devices mm. for people with wheelchairs. Uh, the only the big like benefit of the eye tracking is that you can it's much quicker to learn however it's not as you know if, if you're really disabled and even your eyes can't move you know mm. like that's when b-side comes in that's crazy and uh, like when you, when you hear something like this like obviously people start thinking about like elon musk and Neuralink mm -hmm. and these kind of things yeah um follow Neuralink. yeah so you, this is i mean obviously um you gotta be a very smart person to do stuff like that. So congrats on that. I mean, clearly you've got some uh, some brain power there. Uh, no pun intended. But um, how have you linked in things like film and some of these other kind of graphics and stuff like that? Like these seem like very distinct kind of skill sets, eh? Yeah, I've created a couple of featured films in the past. I've done oh, wow. animated series in the past. I've worked on games, both mobile and more of akin to just regular things that you would see every day on terms of regular launches. Um, so like I said, I've kind of run the gamut throughout the entire entertainment industry. Um, again, like, but I don't make music, I don't do crafts because I'm scared of crafts because they cost a lot of money if you mess something up. <laughs> I love digital because you can always come back. So coming into the board game space, it's like it's like a little bit out of my comfort zone, and I, but I really love the challenge. And we have a really talented team behind previously Pluto to get, kind of get this stuff into the market. So when you were doing these um, these feature films, uh, like mm -hmm. is this things that people would know or like what, what, what kind nah, of film? It, it's it's one of those. It's one of those like oh well, we had like a couple of people. We had stuff for film festivals, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. We had two movies. One was called Youthful Renaissance, and the other was called Digits, and both had pretty lame premises. I'm so sorry, everybody who has to watch those films, but one's about. I mean, I'll really summarize it because they're so lame. But sure. one is a kid who. Uh, He's like he's like just gotten to college and somehow he ends up becoming the guardian of this kid whose parents get killed and they're both unprepared for each other and they learn to grow with one another and then the other one is about a girl a girl who well this guy really falls in love with this girl and this is before like the internet um and he's like you know if you want to get with me you have to find my digits and again this is just him kind of searching and her kind of hiding it's 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 silly but yeah <laughs> but still cool i mean to to do something like that is a lot of work um, and uh, you have to be very efficient because things like this can be very costly too, right? Even when you're doing small mm -hmm. scale, it can get very, very costly. You get actors and film crew and equipment and so forth, right? Yeah, that's actually why I left. I'm like, enough. Like, they get like, very, <laughs> very little money for a lot of work. I'm like, no, I'm done. Yeah. So then I went to animation and I started doing that and made an animated series. And then I'm like, all right, this is also super time consuming. And then I got into game development, which I love, you know, playing games. But I kind of want to get into like the mechanics of it and the design of it, and what 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 it really is the industry. Because it can't just be like I like to play games. Now I'm in. No, no, it's 
far more complicated. But in game development, I think it's probably the most complex of everything because you got to be good at everything to be able to actually do, especially if you're doing it solo or with a small team. Yeah. And is there, um, uh, like previously Pluto, how does that kind of come in? Like, it's kind of an odd name, right? Because I'm thinking previously yes. Pluto. So is it, what, what's the planet they are now? So what was the genesis of that game? No, that name? Oof. The name? Oh, man. Well, okay. So I like to park domains, right? Mm. I'm like, let's just get like an adjective and an animal slap them together by that. Bam. Right. Lonely Owls, for example, is one another company we have. Stuff like that. So, um, so previously Pluto existed. I like the alliteration. I got it. And then I'm like, all right, let's make a logo for Pluto. And then it's like, does people really know what Pluto even looks like? No, there's a heart shape on it, but will anyone recognize that? So we went in a really weird direction. So we decided to go to the Greek God Hades, but the Roman term Pluto. Mm. And that's how our logo came to be. Oh, that's cool. But, and then this team that you've put together, because you have a very large kind of network team. Mm-hmm. Where did these people come from? Like, what was your, your affiliation with these different people? Well, to be honest, uh, I was looking just not just for like skill sets, but I was looking for talent, charisma, for mm. example. So I've got a lot of actors that were also writers and voice actors, because in the end of the day, I want all my games to be voice acted. I want all my games to have like professionals in there mm-hmm. so it sounds great and because it's extremely costly to do voice work and it's extremely costly to you know bring in actors and writers because like they charge like oof, like hundreds of dollars an hour and like what yeah. if i just hire them <laughs> and that's pretty much where the team kind of came from and they're all kind of evolving past what i hired them for so like example james has been moved to game designer and um adam has been moved to lead writer um things like that so we're, we're, everyone's always like it's kind of like their foot in the door in the industry because they're all kind of new to game development too. Oh, that's cool. Now you've, you, you're the one that actually created this whole concept of the big shuffle, right? Well, like this was kind of your, your baby or how did that come together? Well, actually back in 2010 or so, I had a, a friend named Evan Hitchings and he and I worked together. This is before our previously Pluto. It was actually even before my other, I had another game company called uh, Smugby. Um, and we wanted to work together on a game. So I picked a really awesome uh, theme which is like film noir and we decided to build a game around like the thematic elements of, of film noir which you can see in the mechanics of our game and then we kind of shelved it for like forever then the pandemic happened i'm like hey this game's like fully like thought out we can have some art done for it maybe 30 percent. let's just do it so we spent the whole year just going through and creating all the art it took forever because Again, I have a high level of like quality, what I expect. So all the illustrations have been like really thoroughly like uh, thought out in terms of its cohesion with one another and just its impact. Because the reason why we have jumbo cards, like these like really big three point like seventy five by five point five inch cards, yeah. is to give the cinematic experience. Like you're in a scene. Oh, that's cool. And so some of this illustration then was you? Was it all you? Or is it like I know there's a lot of illustrators on the team. Um, how did that all come together? Actually, it's more about, it's like 80% me and then 20% contractors. Wow. It's cool. I mean, that's one of the things that um, really drew me in when I saw it was the, uh, like, just the illustration, like this whole kind of film noir uh, thematic. Um, For those who don't know what film noir is, can you just briefly explain that? Oh sure. Uh, film noir is a is like a popular genre. It was made like around the fifties to look at like nineteen forties and thirties gangsters, 
Uh, it's usually um, black and white films. Like the original Scarface was in film noir. The Owen always remembers the one from '83, but Scarface originally came from that era. Or uh, they think of like the the detective in like his rundown office, and some woman walks in with a case. Someone killed my husband, and only you can you can do it. And then they get you know, and then it kind of goes down. And I think a big part of film noir is that it's kind of like a response to the golden age, right? Where everything had happy ending. In film noir, everything's gray, right? Yeah. And in fact, everyone's kind of the bad guy. So it's it, it's a cool era. And I guess Sin City would probably be the more one of the more modern versions of film noir as well. I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, in fact, that's probably one of our inspirations. That's why you see our monochromatic look with the red highlight. Yeah, that comes that. from Sin City, right? And it's funny, funny how I actually got into film noir cinema. I got it through games actually there's a game called max Payne, max Payne 2 okay yeah follow max Payne. oh yeah i after hearing that dialogue and like the, the just the gameplay in general and this the the aesthetic of that, that that like the city itself it's kind of alive trying to kill you i was like oh man this is awesome and then i kind of just dived into sam lake's experience in writing this kind of stuff and then i got into film noir and started watching maltese falcon double indemnity hitchcock films you know all the and seeing all how how noir kind of spread its fingers through cinema so why why board game? Like you, you have all these avenues you could take, and even on the digital side, I know you guys are working on some actual video games as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. What made you think, you know what? I want to do something tactile, um, like we're sitting at a table. Like, what was the key driver for you to do that? Well, like I said, we're an experimental game company, so mm-hmm. we like to try a lot of different things and different, um, just 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 trying to see what we can mash together, right? Yeah. And, you know, we were playing board games at the time, and uh, Evan, oh, sorry, uh, he had, like, an experience with board games. He went to a lot of board game conventions that I never heard of, and I wanted to see what it was like and see what we could make together with that. Because, like I said, I have this skill set as an artist and designer, but um, I never really even tried to make a board game. So I just wanted to see how... if we could challenge ourselves to make something fun. I love that. I think that a lot of people I talk to in this industry uh, come at it for that exact reason, where they're like, you know what? I grew up playing games. I'm in some other industry altogether. Had an idea, and I just want to try. I just want to you know, see what, what comes of it. And I, I think that is so inspiring. And I encourage anybody who has an idea, you know, try, try to create a board. You don't even have to publish it. You don't even have to, you know, do the Kickstarter thing. You can go GameCraft or, or, or print and play or one of these uh, third-party services to make it like a physical, professional-looking version of your game. But just going through the process, I think, is uh, very enriching and, and rewarding. And, and certainly, I, I know that I got the bug when I started doing it. And a lot of people I talk to, they kind of get bitten with that bug, right? Where they're like, okay, now what's the next game? And now what's the next game? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that comes from seeing the joy, at least for me, when I see other people playing something that I've created, that is worth more than anything to me. Like that is right there. It's like, wow, like that's my creation and I'm not even playing. Those people over there are playing. I'm watching them play and they're having fun. I mean, that is just... It's just such a cool feeling, and uh, it, I don't I don't know any other kind of industries that have that, right? I guess other than like crafts and music. <laughs> Back to your right. point, right? <laughs> so, but, can you walk us through this game? Like, how do you play this game? I'm going to share the screen here. I've been sharing as we've been talking, anyways, but I'm going to kind of scroll back. Walk us through kind of the core concept of how to play the big shuffle. 
Oh, sure. So the film, uh, the Big Shuffle is a film noir card game where you play one of six characters, all kind of like popular archetypes within the film uh, film noir genre. Mm-hmm. Um, you have like the femme fatale, the detective, the uh, mafia don, and they all have their own abilities and they also have their, all their own agendas. So in front of you, you have three giant scene cards, right? Mm-hmm. And they represent the situation, what's going on, the who, the what, the where. Um, and when you flip them, they give you every scene card has certain rules that you have to follow. For example, if you had the femme fatale, uh, every time you use a loot card, you have to discard a card. Um, let's say the if the what was the scandal, you have to if you discard an informant, you get three um, three cards. And if you have something like the red light district, you can trade at your leisure. So all these things are set in place. However, because you're always looking for to match your agenda, meaning your who wasn't where on your character card mm-hmm. to what's what who wasn't where is on the the main area, uh, you're always going to be shuffling through that deck and constantly changing the rules. So it's it's ever changing, just like a film. That's cool. Um, and these scenes, like the way they laid it on the table, literally looks like you're kind of watching like a movie. I guess is that is that mm-hmm. the intent? Yeah. Yeah, that was, exactly. That's when I said like the femme fatale, the scandal, and the red light districts. It's like the femme fatales in the red light district doing the scandal, right? That's that's the idea. So every time you switch it up, you get a new, brand new scene and a new kind of like, um, like. I guess, envision for everybody at the table, you know? Yeah. And this mechanic of, um, so you, in, so the, the main um, scene cards, which are larger cards, um, you've got kind of three decks, right? So I guess the who, what, and where, I guess, are the three different, is that, mm-hmm. yeah? And then with those, uh, what I thought was really interesting when I was watching the, the playthrough video is that as you're shifting, you can kind of go above uh, the main kind of uh, storyline or below the storyline. And as you're playing around, you're trying to keep shifting the scene to match up to your your character's kind of objective. But someone else, obje- they have a different character, different objectives. So they're, they're trying to switch it back, right? Mm-hmm. And you, and then you with your actual cards you have, that's what you're using to actually influence and, and manipulate the scene. Is that is that a fair representation? Yep. Yeah, every character has influence, right? Yeah. So you have influence numbers for the who, the what, and where decks. Yeah. And the way you increase that those those numbers, your, your base influence, is through drawing things like loot cards, action cards, informants, your hench, pretty much like your main henchman is your informant, and then goons. Goons is a big element of the game where you're sending your muscle to, to change the scene. And the thing is that you need, there's uh, three rows. There's the mid- midtown row, which is the active row where the rules are in play. Yeah. And that's also where you have your win condition. But you also have your uptown row and your downtown row. And you kind of put them there to, again, look for your cards, but also kind of to protect your cards as strategy in terms of where you place her up and down based on the numbers of the cards uh. and based on what the, what's going on with the other players. But like I said, we also have a lot of crossover within the agendas themselves. Mm-hmm. So sometimes there's a lot of... Uh, uh, alliances of convenience, right? Just like in real film noir. Yeah. So that's kind of how we plan it out. Like a lot of everything we really planned out in the game is thematic. That's cool. And then how do you how do you block? So I was looking at the numbers. So it's based on I think if you have a higher number, then it's in the corner of that scene card, um, and then in the scene card on one corner will tell you whether you can move it up or, or down based on having mm-hmm. a higher number than that. Um, how would you block? Is it by trying to put like a high number in a certain spot so you know that it's going to be tough for somebody to move it back? Is that kind of the general idea? or How you block is there's there's two types of cards that don't take an action. There's okay. goon cards and then there's reaction cards. Uh, okay. So, example, goon cards can manipulate your influence to lower it down and reaction cards can just pretty much stop you straight out. 
right? And you, there's they have fun terms like it's like where do you think you're going? Who do you think you are? You know, mm. that's you just yell at you. You sort of like, not on my watch and slam those cards down right then, and then no one can move it. So that's really fun to do. I can and then you can go back and forth. With a lot of your colleagues who are actors, uh, who are probably actually acting this out as they're playing, I'm sure that's a lot of fun too, eh? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Especially when you get into Goon Wars, because you can go back and forth. It's like, oh, psh, plus two, no, no, plus one, plus three, plus one. And this goes back, and then everyone, everyone's, because like, the goons die when it's done. So, so, like, sometimes you have a whole turn where, like, you just, you just lost eight goons. Everyone just at the table just goonless. And just, you know, those people had families, you know. Now they're all dead because of you guys. So, <laughs> and then how do you get the? So your cards are you drawing constantly drawing up to a number, or how are you, how are you getting your hand of cards? How does that work? So again, so you have, you start with five cards, mm-hmm. and you're limited seven, and you just you mm. know draw and get those different elements. So and, your um, card and things like that. Yeah, exactly. But there's things within, like I said, the fun thing about the game is that these scene cards change the rules all the time. So sometimes your hand limit can go to nine, and then you have a loot mm. card and make it go to eleven. And then some a-hole has a card that picks everyone discard to four. You know, so, you know, there's a lot of different elements that we have in the game. And because there is so many rules, we are still in the prototyping. Like we're still balancing everything together. Yeah. So, but so far we've had a lot of like good reception. I'm really happy to see people play it and like really like it. So I can see that if someone has a, like a mitt full of cards, and you try to move one of these ones, it forces them down to a smaller hand size. Uh, that's kind of a buzzkill because they're having to now dump a bunch of their cards, but that's good for you, right? It's forced them to kind of right. lose what they thought they were stacking up against you. Now, the big shuffle, right, which is the name of the game, uh, yep. is also a mechanic in this game, right? So, like, that's something that happens. Can you explain the big shuffle? It's it's a bit rare, but it can happen. Yeah. So what happens is if you go through the entire Midtown uh, like section without like now and you don't like move it up you start i guess what happens is it, it just empties so what happens is you have to you take the uptown row and then the downtown row and you slap you mix them together shuffle it and then put it back in the center row so you pretty much screw everyone at the table that was looking for their specific card to come back up oh, and that's, that's the big shuffle that's crazy now with um this um this game what kind of like have you guys been doing marketing or what was your approach like how did you go to market on this like I said, this is our uh, first uh, first mm-hmm. board game that we've ever launched. So we did we had to do all, like a lot of research before we went in. Sure. And I actually seeked out a lot of people that ran Kickstarters, but I also seeked out a lot of people that failed their Kickstarters. I wanted to know why, what what yeah. happened, especially ones that had like beautiful campaigns and really fun game. Like what happened, right? And so we kind of went through that and figured out the best kind of way um, and looked at all the commonalities and, and the metrics. I'm sure you know most of this. I don't know if I should reiterate what I've learned or not. Sure, but. reiterate. I mean, our audience doesn't know everything, right? We've got a lot of people budding uh, uh, game designers and developers that are looking to maybe launch their own games and sometimes listen to this podcast even to uh, learn some things uh, that they can consider. So. For sure, if you have anything you can embark on us, let's hear it. <laughs> yeah, I've we've interviewed twelve Kickstarter campaigns. Yeah. We had like direct to the owners or the team, and we discovered a couple of things. Like first, you need to hit big in the first two days for the algorithm. Yeah. Um, and then the last two days are the big the big pushes and where you get the most most money that you can possibly get. And I think that's probably pretty common knowledge, but that's from our data. But we also got more data where. If you hit up to 60% in the first two days, you have a high chance of succeeding. But if you hit at 25 or lower, you're going to almost guaranteed fail Yeah, if it happens. So we've also found that out too. And we also found out that um, the ones that failed are 
um, they weren't, they didn't really know what the platform was about. They didn't really do their research. They yeah. kind of just like, I have a great game. I'm going to put it out there. It's going to do fantastic. But just like digital games, you can't do that. You can't just put your game on Steam against a million other games. Of like, it's, it's good. It'll stand out. <laughs> so you, you really have to go out and talk to people. And I mean, there's a lot of different ways. Like people think it's all digital marketing, but sometimes, especially in board games, which I love, by the way, it's word of mouth, just talking to people yeah. that have done it. And every single one of these Kickstarter people, you know, they have a community and I talk to them too. And you see who was interested in our game. And then we kind of went from there and we kind of just do like a, a word of mouth kind of campaign. Too. And you guys went to PAX too, I think, right? Yeah, we took a, a pretty big gamble and people were like, I don't know, this is really crazy because Pax Unplugged is very expensive to have a booth there, but it's in my city. Like, I didn't say this before, but maybe I should. One of the reasons why we started previously Pluto is because we want another game company to be in Philadelphia. We had a bunch in like 2008, yeah. but some guy pretty much money laundered he, he, they had like a camp, uh, there was a convention called uh gamer x and like okay. sony and nintendo was there and the guy just like brought all these big people in they skipped town with all the money and didn't pay any of the vendors yeah. and after that the city was like all right no more no more backing games i'm like no so one of my one of my goals is to bring game development back back to philly like come on guys we can start doing it so that's why i'm trying to make all these different kind of games and you know trying to go to all these different inter- industries and tie you know philly's name to games again so yeah it's interesting when you're saying like about the you know Kickstarter how a lot you know there's a number of people that will have what they think is a great game and they, they'll look at other games very surface level and they say oh my game is as good as that game and that game hit like hundred thousand dollars or half a million dollars I should be able to do at least ten percent of that but Kickstarter's not is a crowd funding platform not a crowd finding platform right you still right, have to go right, find right. your crowd and. There are multiple ways to do it, and you're right. Advertising is one part of that, but another part of that is really just seating yourself into the community and getting people to understand what it is you're coming with and get them talking about it, right? And uh, it sounds like you guys did that on this one, which is which is cool. It's a very thematic game, which which you know there's different audiences, right? And some people that's that's what they look for. You know, they're they're all theme. You got other people that are all you know all game and all agency and all these other kind of buzzwords, but you know don't don't care as much about the theme. And uh, you know, I look at a game like this. It's like you know what I know. There's a core of people that are probably um, instant fans, right? Just based on the genre, right? It's I mean, there's a, I know I've got a bunch of buddies myself that just love film noir. That I mean, that's their jam, right? So mm-hmm. um, I can see why this uh, this funded. And for those who are listening. And do check out this campaign. Uh, it's already funded, so it's not a question of whether this game is launching. This game is launching, right? Right, and definitely. Then, yeah, and there's still another. I think it's 15 days to go. So, if somebody wants to follow your journey along, how best do they do that? Like, obviously, they can follow this game, but it sounds like you guys are into a lot of stuff, and people mm-hmm. like to follow people that are into a lot of stuff. How do they do that? Oh, if you go to previouslypluto.com, you can find our company and. Uh, all our games that we're currently launching, we actually are doing three games. Oh, actually, we're two. Two is currently development. One's about to launch, um, and we have a couple of experimental stuff too. Um, so again, we have the Big Shuffle, which is a film noir card game, but we have the exact opposite, which is we have a game called Oddware, which is a sci-fi visual novel about androids in space. So that's our other game that we're making in tandem with Big Shuffle. So how does that work? Um, is it like a choose your own adventure or like, how, explain that to me. Oh, the visual novel? Yeah. Uh, primarily uh, visual novel is like a Japanese genre where it's it's very narrative heavy, a lot of reading involved. 
Um, but we kind of mix adventure game elements within that. But pretty much what's happening is you wake up as an android, and you find a bunch of other androids, but no humans. And uh, you guys are kind of just exploring what it means to be sentient, or really how to grow from sentience to sapience. Um, and discovering what happened to all the humans and where you are, which is like 11 light, light years away in a different galaxy. Um, and just kind of getting a sense of that. And, it's, and again, but the thing, the main thing is that the characters are really funny. They're all really quirky in the different kind of ways that represent different elements of like the humors. So that's kind of how you built them. Is this something that you play as a solo player or something like multiple people play? Oh, it's a, it's a solo player game. It's, it's a narrative experience. Okay. And then how, and it, how big is the novel? Like, is it, uh, it sounds like quite the story. Yeah, it's probably like six to eight hours long. Wow. Um, and it actually won an award at uh, Too Many Games in Philadelphia uh, for Best in Show. So it has a really cool style. Like visual novels are usually pretty static, but as an animator, I'm like, nah. I want, I want it to be voice acted. I want it to be animated. I want it to pop. I don't want people to get bored. So. Oh, it's animated but, too. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's really and again it has a very unique kind of look and we're actually going to do something fun. We we actually want to launch the game on Kickstarter too, and um, I'm actually going to have like a retro cart that you can actually purchase as a tier. It's going to be so cool. And when is that coming out? Like when are when are you going to launch that Kickstarter? Uh, somewhere in 2022 is the okay. idea. But like I said, we're gonna it's like it's going to be very interesting to bring our audience from board games to a visual novel. And then after that, we're going to do virtual reality games because another game, we have another game uh, that's about a girl who jettisons herself into deep space called uh, Morning Glory. And yeah, so that's going to be, that's a VR adventure game. Oh, that's great. How, like, I mean, either A, how big is the team? Uh, and oh. it, 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 is it just you or is there like a massive team working on this? Because this sounds like a yeah. lot of stuff to cram out in such a short period of time. It's about seven people uh, yeah. in total. And but like I said, I, I rely on contractors to help with some of the yeah. more heavy elements like programming. And when I do like heavy illustration, like anything that takes me like a boat, like I can do most of anything, but there's only one of me. Right. Yeah. So whatever it takes a boatload of time, I try to bring in contractors and the people that are actually on the team. Again, they like they do writing, they do voice acting, they do just like promotion and stuff for us. So they're they're extremely useful and you never know when. And, you know, you'll have a really good idea from them. And they also just keep the spirits up. Yeah. Kenneth, I, I am pumped about uh, what you guys are working on. I think this is just awesome. I'm going to put in our show notes links to the Kickstarter campaign, The Big Shuffle. Anybody out there that loves uh, this genre of, uh, you know, film noir, uh, it looks like an awesome, fun card game. And, um, and, and certainly it's, it's very thematic. Check it out. I'll put the link in there. Uh, certainly, uh, as uh, Kenneth mentioned, that uh, if you want to follow his journey along, there's different options to do that as well. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Maybe we'll get you back uh, when you're ready for this next one because it, it sounds pretty cool too. We'll talk about this, uh, this visual novel and, uh, and, and see where you guys go from there. Yeah, definitely. And bef before I go, I'd like to mention one thing too sure. is we're also on Tabletop Simulator if you want to try the oh, game sweet. today. Um, we're on Tabletop Sim, and we also have a radio show called The Big Shuffle. There's going to be two episodes, so we already have one episode already out on Anchor. So if you go to our website on our link tree, you can go through all our links, and we have all that kind of stuff. Like We really we really go hard on that film noir stuff, so it's really fun. I'm going to put, after we're off air, uh, give me the link to that. Uh, so it's like a podcast, I guess, right? So they, they access uh -huh. it through their podcast. Send me a link to that. I'll put that in the show notes, too. Uh, I'm going to listen to that, because that's right up my alley. <laughs> and... Uh, Again, all the best with this campaign. Can't wait to see where you guys land, and uh, you take care. Cheers. Right, you too. Thanks for having us. 
This has been an episode of the Board Game Binge Podcast, hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you would like to watch these interviews live, simply join the Facebook group Board Game Binge, and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time.